Welcome to another broadcast of Hope for the Heart. My name is William Rogers. I'll be bringing another message today out of the book of Revelation. And for today for the uh, reading is uh, our context for today is Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 and 12. The full context of this is uh, verse 11 through the end of the chapter, which is verse 15. But we're not going to be able to cover all of that today, so I'm only going to look at the first two verses and get out of that what I, I can for today. So let me read this to us. If you have a copy of God's Word right there with you, I invite you to join along with me as I read these two verses of Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 and 12. The Word of God reads, And I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. This has been known through as long as I have been a Christian. I have always referred to this as the great white throne judgment. Today, I've got a different kind of a title for this because I think it fits more along the line of where I'm going to be going with this. And the title of today's message is Alone with the Living God. I can't imagine anything more frightening than being alone with the living God, especially if you are an unbeliever. If you are someone who is going to die in your sins, you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, the most fearful place or a time of all times would have to be at that time, that judgment alone with the living God. And that's why I've entitled that today, because that's what we see here. We see this kind of a description painted for us as John works his way through verses 11 through verse 15. This is a day of judgment, and this court or this trial will not be like familiar trials that we see on earth. I know that Many times a trial or a court case will come on television and we have an opportunity to see different parts of it and it always uh, captivates the public. Uh, the more wild and bizarre or the rich and the famous, it, you know, it gets our attention. Well, this is going to be a lot different. In this trial, there will be no debate about guilt or innocence. There will be a prosecutor, but no defender. There will be an accuser, but no advocate. Uh, there will be an indictment that will be handed down. There will be a swift presentation uh, of all of the evidence that will be absolutely convincing and proof of the very fact that the people in this trial are going to be condemned. There will be a swift, like I said, presentation of the evidence, but no rebuttal, a testimony with no cross-examination. This will be a different kind of trial. This will be a different kind of court or tribunal. There will be a sentence, but no appeal, a punishment, and no chance of parole in a jail with no escape. Uh, all of the courts, trials, all that goes on every day in, across this land or even across the world will fall short of what this one will be. Somewhere out there, unknown to us, is going to be this court case, this trial, this tribunal, this judgment, and we don't even know where it will be. All we know is that somewhere 
unknown to us between earth and heaven, between the world as we know it now and the new heavens and the new earth. This judgment will take place, and it is the last courtroom that will ever convene throughout all eternity. This one, no one will ever be tried again, and God will never again act as a judge. That's what the scriptures present to us. The scriptures before us describe this event and its significance, and it is so significant, and it is such a tremendous vision that I'm not going to be able to do all the context, which is in uh, verse 11 through 15, just today. I'm going to be doing good just to cover two verses. But this covers, and I want you to understand this, this covers for us all who have died in their sins. In other words, every single unbeliever ever to have died and ever will die. Because at this time, which is still in the future, it hasn't even come yet. This will be at the end of the kingdom age. The kingdom lasts for a thousand years, and we are yet to go through the tribulation period, which is seven years. So we have next a uh, prophetic uh, uh, event on God's prophetic calendar would be the rapture of the church, and then that will uh, signal a, a beginning to the uh, tribulation period, which will last seven years. At the end of the tribulation period, we have Christ coming back, as we saw in chapter 19, and that led us to a chapter, this chapter that we're on. Uh, we, so at, at, uh, at the look at that, we see in chapter 20, we see the kingdom. And then this is after the kingdom, uh, which will be the great white throne judgment, or as I'm calling it, alone with the living God. That's really what it is, but it is going to be an overall picture of the great white throne judgment. Not a place you want to be. Not a place you want to be a part of. So, all who have died in their sins, all unbelievers from Genesis uh, in the garden, from that point, ever since sin has been on the earth, all through the ages, even through this age that we're in now, which is the church age, it will be all those that have died without Christ in the tribulation period and those who died as unbelievers throughout all of the kingdom. All people apart from the knowledge of God, will be there from all of human history and all through the centuries. You, you almost can't emphasize it enough since man, man sinned and fell in the garden. You see, Satan, the liar, above all liars, has endeavored to deceive man about the reality of this event. And I think he's done that pretty convincing to unbelievers. He's done his best to convince men that there will be no final court. There will be no final judgment. There will be no final uh, accounting or, or punishment for those. He has deceived sinners into believing that they can live any way they want to live, and there'll be no day of reckoning, no day of accountability, nothing for anyone. No punishment, no time of sentencing, no moment when they stand before the judge or the God of this earth. Uh, and so, I think Satan has been very successful in, in doing that with a lot of people, millions of people. Uh, actually, evolution's uh, popularity is also based on that deception. It suits man just fine that he came out of some piece of, uh, of cell or protoplasm. or It suits him just fine that he emerged out of some slime out of the water uh, because if he did, then it suits him just fine that uh, there is also now no God. There is no one to whom he is accountable. 
And this, I think, what is deep down into the heart of unbelievers. They they know that they're and they feel like they know that there is no end. That there just goes into oblivion. There is no real accountability. There's no one to whom I have to answer. There's no one who will sit in judgment. Man is free from the fear of ultimate accountability, free to sin as he pleases. Uh, and that's just not true. That is a deception. It comes straight from the pit. If there is no creator, if there is no moral judge in the universe, that's just fine with the unbelieving man or woman who has not trusted Christ. And man will live as he wants to live and go into oblivion. I've heard people say that. It's absolutely a sad thing to see that people believe the lie of Satan. But that's not the case. This is the deceiving lie of Satan. It has been through the centuries. Either there is no God and there is therefore no accountability or that the God who exists is not a God who is going to judge us at all. Or part of that deception could be, or that there is a God, but when we die, life is over, and we go into just annihilation. We go into another nothing, nothingless, nothing, nothingness. All those are lies of the enemy. And I think Satan has worked hard to convince men of this. The apostle John, as he wrote this vision, as he is seeing this, I often think of John as he's in the, on the Isle of Patmos being punished for his belief and his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. One writer put that he must have just shaken in, his, in the cave in which he was writing. Uh, the language is clear. What he sees is very clear. What he's presenting here is very frightening, and he knows it's true. The language has absolutely no embellishment. There are no gory details. It's missing the adjectives that might be stacked upon one another to make the terror of this place even more fearful. It's plain, simple, straightforward truth. And if we can't deal with that, then we don't need to read it. But it is truth. Now, the good thing about this is, is if you're a believer today, you will have no part of this great white throne judgment or this alone with the living God in fear and in your sin, you will not be there. This is a time for unbelievers. This event is described for us in John chapter 5, verse 29. As John penned these words, the resurrection, he called it, of the damnation, of damnation, or the resurrection of condemnation. You could translate it either way. What John sees here in this vision is an event so spectacular, so immense, so great, that it's really greater than any other event ever so blazing in the display of, of glory so powerful is this event that the entire universe disintegrates and we'll see that before this event right in front of the eyes of of those beholding this picture in fact you remember what we've already looked at in, Re in romans chapter i mean Re romans I mean, revelation chapter 20 uh, in verse 9, it says, And the fire that fell from heaven to devour the rebels, or the Gog of Magog, back in verse 9, the rebellious army of the world that had collected itself under the power of Satan and his demons at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ, that that fire came out and devoured all the ungodly rebels, now becomes the glory of God, blazing white energy that incinerates the universe. 
Because you see, after this that we've read in verse uh, 7 through 9 of Revelation chapter 20, then we're going to have a destruction of this planet. And so when that happens, we, there's no place. Man is, there is no more living flesh bodies anywhere. Those that were in the, in the, in the kingdom age that were believers were taken out. We don't know how. Perhaps it was a, a, a rapture type thing, but they were taken out and taken on to heaven. Uh, those that were unbelievers are died, and they're here being represented right here in this context. And so look how verse 1, uh, verse 1, verse uh, 11, our first verse, but it's verse 11 of Revelation chapter 20 reads, I saw a great white throne, and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found in them, uh, for them. So we see here a great white throne. In fact, we see there's actually going to be four parts to this uh, whole section here in verses 11 through 15. We're going to see a, a clear picture of the vision that John sees. That's from point one. We're, on, we're only going to cover that one today. Number two, we're going to see a condemned people. Number three, we're going to see convincing proof that they are condemned people. And number four, we're going to see the capital punishment. We're going to see what is their punishment for the deeds they are being judged for. And that's really simple. It's a very simple outline. It just takes a while to get through it. I've got a lot to cover. But I know I want to notice the, the great white throne and him who sat upon it. Uh, because you notice here, the, there is a throne here in this picture. There is a throne and it's not only a great white throne, but in verse 12, it says, I saw the dead. Notice that. I saw the dead, not the living. This is the dead, the great and the small. And look what the dead are doing. They're standing before the throne. That's the picture. That's the vision that John sees. So in one brief, straightforward statement that John sets forth, he gives us this picture, a great white throne, and standing in front of this throne before it are all the dead, great and small. This is the uncreation of the universe, and it is given in far fewer words than was the actual creation of the universe. What an amazing picture this is. The creation had two chapters, Genesis 1 and 2. The uncreation, just a handful of verses, and the God of creation becomes the God of destruction. The God who moved and brought into being becomes the God who moves and eliminates from existence. That's what we have at this uh, alone with the living God. It is an amazing time, a terrifying time, the most uh, uh, problematic time of people. Uh, it's, far, it's even hard to look at. Uh, one writer calls it the most tragic event ever in the history of man. So it is an awful, awful time. Notice how the verse begins with a little phrase, and I saw. A very familiar phrase to introduce either a new vision or a new dimension to a vision. We don't really, it doesn't really matter to us which it is. And as we have come down to the second coming of Christ, which we found in chapter 19 in verse 11, it said it, said it there, and I saw, and there it is. He saw heaven opened and Christ coming. You go down to verse 17 
of chapter 19. I saw an angel standing. And then you go to verse 19 of chapter 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth. Chapter 20, verse 1. And I saw. In verse 4, I saw thrones. Verse 11, I saw a great white throne that we just read. And look at verse 12, how it begins to. And I saw the dead. In chapter 21, verse 1, if you have your copy of God's Word open, it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is a sequence of visions or a sequence of changes within the major vision that sum up the end of human history. And I saw triggers each new phrase starting with the return of Christ, followed by a thousand-year kingdom, and then the great white throne judgment, and then a new heaven and a new earth. So, and I saw, actually, is three very important words that just, it triggers for us a little break or a time to kind of stop and look at what is it that John sees. Now, remember, after the total destruction of uh, what we just read in verses uh, 1 through 9 of chapter 20, Satan is sent to the lake of fire where he will live forever, along with the beast and the false prophet, and all earthly sinners have been destroyed, all of human history then, since the garden has ended. It's all ended. Satan has gone into the lake of fire. The beast and the false prophet are gone into the lake of the fire, along with Satan, of course, and all his demonic forces. They're all been annihilated. They're, it's over. All earthly sinners have now been killed or destroyed. All the saints in the times of the kingdom who were still alive have been taken immediately or translated immediately into heaven. And the end of humanity has come. Humanity is no longer exists at the point of what we're reading in this text. We're not there yet as far as history goes. We're still looking ahead to when this is going to happen. It's got to be at least uh, a thousand something years because the kingdom itself lasts for a thousand years. So we see a physical universe as we know it today then has no reason to exist especially a physical universe that has been stained by sin. The sin of fallen angels who have polluted it. Uh, the sin of man, the sin of all that is here. The very throne of God is indicated by the book of Job. The whole universe has been polluted. And we've already seen God begin to uh, build with, through, uh, to destroy through the process of time and during the tribulation period and only renovates part of it for the, uh, for the kingdom age. But then it will be totally annihilated. The whole universe uh, will be totally destroyed. So this picture or this vision that John sees, we see a, a throne and we see people. Verse 11, a great white throne. Nearly 50 times in the book of Revelation, there is mention of thrones. So this is not an uncommon word, obviously, in this book. But this is a very different kind of throne. The throne in chapter 1, for example, verse 4, is like the throne in chapters 4 and 5. It's the throne of God in heaven, the throne of majesty, the throne where he sits and reigns and rules. This, in chapter 20, is a throne of judgment. It is a throne of furious activity to annihilate the whole universe. It's not like the thrones of heaven described in chapter 4. It's different. Uh, in fact, you can just feel the difference as John is presenting his vision to us. Remember, he's told to write this. It is a throne somewhere in the midst of uncreated universe between the universe that had been dissolved and the new heaven and new earth. We don't even know where it's going to be. 
But notice it's called a great throne, a great white throne, so much because, uh, not so much because of the size, it's not great because of the size, but of the significance and its elevation, its authority, its majesty, or its power. Imagine the power that is at that moment in this event in the future. Comprehensive uh, a, a picture of, of complete judgment. It's a white because of the purity and holiness and righteousness. From that throne comes absolute righteousness. Now again, absolute righteousness, the power just in behind that, being able to judge and sentence all of the living, all people who have ever lived on this planet Earth from the Garden of Eden until just before this judgment. All the unbelievers are there, and they're all going to be sentenced out of absolute righteousness. It is the throne of majesty, unlimited, one writer puts. Another puts it as the throne of sovereign, sovereignty, unchallenged. It is the final judgment seat for the judge of all the earth to sit and make his judgment. It is the final place of reckoning. Donald Gray Barnhouse calls it, it is the dazzling, blinding, blazing, pure, holy, divine throne of the presence of God where he sits in utter, absolute judgment. Amazing. John MacArthur says it is the throne of sovereignty, unchallenged. The Lord abides forever, the psalmist wrote. He establishes his throne for judgment, and he will judge the world in righteousness. He will execute judgment for the people of the world. And Daniel, we see the, the throne mentioned in Daniel, in his vision, God gave to him in chapter 7 of his prophecy where we find in verse 9 and 10, Daniel writes, I kept looking until the thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow in his hair and his head was like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him. The angels, the holy angels, myriads upon myriads were standing before him. The court set and the books were open. It's got to be the same event. Daniel saw the same thing John's seeing. And what an event it will be. I can't believe the masses of, 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 of individuals out there, whether all the angels out there, it says myriads upon myriads of them were standing before him. And then also it says in verse 11 of Revelation chapter 20, um, uh, verse 12, I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. All of them are there. You think, well, how big is this place that can hold all of these people along with the myriads and the myriads? That's thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels. What a place. What a scene. And then to describe him as as uh, his vesture was like white snow in his hair, and his head was like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. In fact, I think the Apostle Paul 
probably in Romans chapter 2, verse 5, was speaking of that very same day, the same throne, when he said, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and the revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. Wow. So we're seeing something that is phenomenal here. We're seeing something that is amazing here. The psalmist put it like this. Daniel had a glimpse of it. Paul understood it. It is a great blazing throne of divine holy energy, as one writer puts it, that uncreates the whole universe and damns the whole sinning humanity. The immensity of it is incomprehensible. And it really is. I can't understand all of this. But John, when he sat down and wrote this, he talks about God is sitting on the throne. You go back, for example, in chapter 4. You go all through Revelation and you see this. And he paints the scene of the throne of the four living creatures in, in chapter 4 and 5. Another picture of the throne is, is a Revelation chapter 6, verse 16. Where Listen to what the words say here. Revelation chapter 6. Fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Are they seeing the same throne? Are they seeing the same judgment? Yes, they are. And we see this all the way through. Chapter 7, verse 10, salvation to our God who sits on the throne. In verse 15, mentions the throne of God. Then one who sits on the throne. In chapter 19, verse 4, it says that the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sits on the throne. And Jesus adds to this when he says in John eight fifty, I do not seek my glory. There is one who seeks and judges. And that would be, of course, God. His Father, so the judge who sits on the throne is none other than the eternal Almighty God. But there is something really marvelous about this because of some other scriptures. Revelation 3.21 He who overcomes, I will grant to sit down with me on my throne. I will also overcome, I have also overcome and sat down with my Father on his throne. And so we have an indication here that there will be judgment for him, and we are going to be right there observing. So the question, it begs the question, are believers going to be at this great white throne judgment? Not as participants, but as viewers. I think they will. I think we will be there. I think when it says, I saw the great white throne and him who sat upon it, <coughs> excuse me, then we find Daniel talking about it. We find all through the New Testament, References to this day of judgment, I think according to what I see, it will be viewed by all of heaven, all of the participants in heaven. Chapter 22, we see the throne of sovereignty in Revelation chapter 22, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Verse 3 of chapter 22, the throne of God and of the Lamb again. And so it's mentioned so many times about this throne. Now, Another picture of John's vision is in John chapter 5, and he writes in verse 28, An hour is coming which all who are in the tomb shall hear his voice and come forth. Those who did good deeds to a resurrection of life and those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. That's a reference right here. It is the Lord Jesus who summons them to the judgment. It is the Lord Jesus who sits as judge. It is God then in the form of Christ, working through Christ, Wow, it is actually amazing. In Acts chapter 17, we find something. Verse 31, 
It says, God is now, verse 30, declaring all men everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed. He will judge but through a man whom he has appointed. What man? Having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. And we know that man who was raised from the dead is none other than Jesus Christ. So God is judge and God sits on the throne in the form of Jesus Christ to judge through Christ. Tremendous statement, isn't it? Tremendous. It affirms that Jesus is God. There is no other. There is, in fact, there's proof all through the New Testament that affirms the reality that Jesus is God. He is God. John sees the blazing throne and the judge and comes and, and comes the startling reality, John says, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. No place was found for them. That's in verse 11. What an incredible statement. From the very presence of the one who's on the throne, earth and heaven fled away. Why? Well, sin cursed the whole universe, as you will know. We've all seen it again and again. It's restored in the kingdom. There was a restoration, a refreshing, and a, re a restitution of all things in the time of the regeneration of the world. And you remember the globe was reconfigured. Remember that? And so we talked about that. And yet here we find anything sin touches it dies, disintegrates, and so it has to be destroyed. And that's what we see. The way this reads in verse 11 of Revelation 20, of whose presence earth and heaven fled away. They could not even be in the very presence of absolute righteousness in this time of judgment. Yeah, John's looking at the uncreation. It's like it never happened. It's like there was no place found for them. It doesn't mean they weren't there somewhere. It doesn't mean that it was reshaped or it was uncreated. It utterly goes out of existence. Listen to how it reads that. Whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. Wow. Was it reshaped or uncreated? It utterly goes out of existence. Here is the sudden violent termination of the universe. God never designed it to last forever. It can't. It's a temporary place. We find all of this, again, mentioned in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, where the heavens will, will pass away, and, and we see that. The elements will be destroyed. They'll melt with intense heat. The elements, what does that mean? The basic elements, all of the earth, will melt away. The heavens and the earth will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat, it says in 2 Peter chapter 3. And then verse 13 says, there will come a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. But you got to get rid of the cursed universe. Folks, there's no reason to save this planet. I know there's a massive work today. I know there's the green uh, climate change people that are just about to go crazy. And as I've said before, if you think we're messing it up, wait till you see what God does to it during the tribulation period. Wait till you see what God does to it. It's his earth. It's his planet. We can't destroy it. We can't mess it up. We can, oh, we can do our part to maybe recycle a few things or uh, help in some ways, but listen, we can't save this planet. We can't save it. It was created by God, the same God who could create matter can uncreate it. And that's what we're going to see. He is going to uncreate it. Wow. People ask sometimes, 
I know they've asked other pastors, I'm sure. When we get into the eternal heaven, will we remember the past? In other words, when I get to heaven, well, actually, I think about this a lot. My wife just passed. And I think about her up there in heaven, which is where she is right now. Does she remember the past? We've been married 46 years. Does she remember that? And my answer has to be scripturally supported, and I have to say it, no, because any memory of the past would be tainted by sin. It's going to pass away. It's gone out of existence. Just like it came into existence by the creative power of God, it goes out of existence. No, I don't think, I don't think Carol's up there thinking about the past, things we used to do, things we did, things we talked about. It's sad to say on this side, but it's not sad where she is. Man, it is absolutely amazing. Listen to what Donald Gray Barnhouse said. I like to quote him because I, I like to read him. Listen to what Donald Gray Barnhouse said. There is to be an end of the material heavens and earth which we know. It is not that they are to be purified and rehabilitated, uh, but that the reverse of the creation is to take place. They are to be uncreated. As they came from nothing at the word of God, they are to be sucked back into nothingness by the same word of God. That's an amazing thing to think about. Well, I'm going to have to stop right here because I haven't been able to get very far, but we're talking about the great white throne judgment in which every person will stand condemned that has been standing there without Christ. They will have their a time alone with the living God. And what a frightening, frightening time it is. It is a very frightening time. In fact, the scriptures even say, uh, it talks about this. And so we're, we're going to take a look at that next time. And then we'll cover it just a little bit further. But for now, I thank you. This has been William Rogers giving you the next message out of the book of Revelation, chapter 20. And again, the title for the message today uh, has been Alone with the Living God. Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 and 12. Thank you so much.